think we're back into it. Round number two, second episode. Bit of fun. People love the first one. That was great. Some of the some of the learnings in there, and then um, I think we've got some great things we can talk about today. And I appreciate it. it's going to be from your side. It's not from the agent side. It's not from agency side. It's it's your observations looking in. Um, first question: When you're selling with or without an agent, what's your thoughts? Well, I think anybody that takes on selling their own property without an agent is asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very nice trying to save commission. That's what usually mm, pushes people to think think they can sell by themselves. Um, but when it comes to the point when somebody actually wants to make an offer and you're staring at the potential buyer, and the, uh, then you have to draw up a document because all real estate deals have to be done in writing. Mm, you can't yep. have a handshake deal. It isn't binding. So if it is, has to be in writing, then somebody has to write it down, and that's where the agent comes in. Because unless you're a trained lawyer or something like that, it's a very tricky situation. Mm-hmm. You've got to get it dead right. I know people have sold bought properties on a handshake, but it's risky business. I, I wouldn't hesitate to use a real estate agent. I do think they get a better price, and I'm not getting paid to say this. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, just to extend that, um, how have you chosen agents uh, over the years? What are you looking for? When I ask for agents, I usually get two or three agents to look at the particular property I want mm-hmm. to lease or rent or sell or buy, as the case may be, and get their opinions. They vary a lot. And each agent has his own way of, of describing what they would do for you and how they would advertise it and the mm-hmm. costs, of course, and, and there's quite a big quite a big difference. And uh, I pick the one that I hope <laughs> sort of meets, meets the criteria that I'm looking for. Um, and it usually works. It usually yep. works. But, uh, you know, sometimes down the road you find the agent isn't working the way you want and you just say goodbye and get another one. Yep, yep, roll through that. Mm. If we Now, what if we flip it the other side and we start thinking about the buying side of it? Uh, so, you know, selling, you're going to choose the agent. Buying, I guess you're going to choose a bank or choose a lender. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts around that? Banks, lenders, second well, tier? Yes, that's very interesting. Uh, if you need a lender... You need to borrow money, which most people do. And it's a good idea to go and talk to the bank you want. In fact, go and talk to several banks, mm-hmm. not, necessarily, not necessarily the bank that's been your bank for a while because banks yeah, are competitive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And go and say, look, this is the property, type of property I want to buy. This is how much money I've got. This is how much we can afford it, myself, my partner or myself, and see what they offer and get written offers, precondition, pre-sales, whatever you like to call them, and Let's compare them. You'll find quite a difference between the banks. At the moment, the things are a bit tricky, but this will pass. And go with the bank that gives you the best deal. And have you, uh, has there been an evolution over time? Have you used uh, yeah, brokers, mortgage brokers along oh, yeah. the way or direct? What, what's would, what's yeah. your feelings on that? I would use mortgage brokers if, if you're new to the game. I would definitely use mortgage brokers. It doesn't cost you anything. Mortgage brokers... Uh, services are usually free, mm-hmm. and they will do the hassling with the bank, and they'll get you. The, they get paid their fee from whichever bank they get, and they can, you can tell them things that perhaps the bank shouldn't hear. You can confess to the broker, yep. uh, and the bank <laughs> broker may say, "Look, you know, this is something you don't want to tell the bank." <laughs> <laughs> I'm, being naughty, I'm, being naughty, I'm being naughty there, uh, but you know the the, the the broker will sort of will sort of sanitise what you said yep. and present the best view to the bank and get you the best offer. And I think the services are very valuable. And, and has that changed over time? You know, this, this is confession time. Has that changed over time? Back no. in the past, you know, it would be more like, 
hide this, don't talk about this. Oh, and today, you, it's, you've no, got to be obviously a bit more careful about being uh, transparent. No, you mustn't hide things from the broker because he'll get into trouble too. If, yep. if he tells the bank something that you've hidden, it doesn't tell the bank something that you've hidden, and the bank finds out eventually that you've been telling yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lies, well, then, then you're in trouble. Uh, but, you know, you've got to polish the apple a little bit. Okay? <laughs> uh, but it hasn't changed in, in the 60 years I've been in the game. It, we used brokers way back then and, oh, and wow. still use brokers. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. The banks love that because the banks can't be bothered with mum, dad and three kids sitting there at the counter, you know, going gotcha. through the whole life story and, and, and that time is valuable. So they'd rather have the broker there to sort all this out first. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was something I pictured, you know, you've done far longer than me. I pictured that was something that had changed at a certain point where the banks went, we don't want to employ so many people trying to do this, we'll use the literally the free service as opposed to employees. I can't remember a time when there weren't brokers. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and it's, 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 it was, it was, maybe I was in a different game for most people, but, but uh, there are some very good brokers. And brokers are very useful for other things if you need special finance, if you need second mortgage or mm-hmm. short-term mm-hmm. mortgages or perhaps from non-bank lenders, something like yep. that. Not all banks are the same. You get what I call non-bank lenders, finance companies effectively, and they will lend money to people that would never get a loan from the bank. Very useful because if you can afford the extra interest that you're likely to pay, why not? Yeah, you can get in and do that, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, did, did, were you running for a period where you were first mortgage, second mortgage, and then in the end it's just single mortgages as you went through, or have you structured that and also had second-tier lenders in Second-tier lenders will not be bothered too much by a second mortgage. A second mortgage, is, to explain, is it comes after the first mortgage. The first mortgage gets paid out first and all monies uh, to the first mortgage get paid first. And the second mortgage, mortgagee has to wait until all the money has been paid to the first mortgagee. Um, so that, that's a slight risk. But it's very useful to top up a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Now, most banks, warning, warning, most banks don't like to have a second mortgage on top of it, their first mm, mortgage. Mm. I don't know why. It's a complete mystery to me because they still got all the security from the first dollar up. Unbeknownst, but there you are. Mm. That's, that's, banks aren't always sensible. Uh, but if you need a, a money and prepare to pay the extra interest to get into a deal, maybe short term, yep. um, then, yeah, gotcha. then perhaps you can borrow the money from the a non-bank lender and get a second mortgage from somebody else. It used to be solicitors used to have a big second mortgage yeah, market. Yeah. Not yep. so much now. Uh, but there's always money there if you can afford the interest. Remember when I was at school, mum and dad, they had first mortgage, second mortgage, and I think yeah. a credit union had chipped in something yeah. at the beginning. And, they, yeah, you sort of structured the whole thing to try and get enough yeah. to yeah. get yeah. over the line. That's right. Right right back in the 1960s. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> long time ago. It was very common for the vendor, the seller of the property, yes. to leave a second mortgage in. Yeah. And they left the second mortgage in and the bank left the first mortgage in and maybe a, somebody else chipped in a third mortgage and a fourth and fifth, whatever, until you only put $10.50 in. Okay? <laughs> but it doesn't matter as long as you got there. We, that will actually come up now and I'll, sometimes we'll be, somebody will be trying to pull a deal together, trying to get more, a seller will be trying to get more and they'll indicate, look, we'll leave money in. Yeah, we'll yeah. Uh, And then uh, obviously from our side, agency side, we're all saying, okay, we'll have a good chat to your lawyer, see how they feel yeah. about that because you'll be second cab off the rank. That's right. And if it turns to custard, the first guy will get paid, you may get nothing back, so you'll be fairly well unsecured. So some risk as they go through uh, in that. Depends how much equity is left because the first and mm. second mortgage mm. may only add up to 60% of mm. the value and it's not a big deal. But if it adds up to 95% of the value, well, better get, think about that. 
Yeah, especially as we see today in today's market where yeah. values have come back from where yeah. people purchase. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's the buying side. Uh, selling side, yeah, grab an agent. Buying side, consider your banks, consider your, your other lenders, non-bank lenders. Let's flip back into selling side. Uh, what's your experience been when you're selling something? Uh, staging versus non-staging and empty house versus staged property. <laughs> There's only two real answers to that. If you're selling a house, it should either be completely cleaned out and be empty, just leave it to the person's imagination, or should be staged. Um, leaving a, putting a house up for sale with the, with the you know dirty pants lying over the bed and <laughs> rolled up towel and the soap in the dish and, and the clothes lying and the guitar in the corner, it's not a good look. Yep. It really is yep. not a good look. And these days people expect it to see a place in, in, in clean, pristine order, yeah. unless you're very lucky. So you, you've got to get rid of all the clutter. If you're putting a house on the market and the agents are coming around to take photographs, get rid of all the clutter, personal photographs, mm. all the clothing mm. and guitars and, and baseball bats and goodness knows what. Get rid of all the paperwork, everything you can, put it in a room somewhere or in the basement or anywhere and keep the place as tight as possible. And if you can afford it, it costs Get somebody to stage the place mm. with several rooms mm. and do the garden. That's important too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plant some instant instant flowers. They only last a few weeks, but that'll do. That'll do. Fine. Pull them up later and send them back. Um, paint the front door. Anything. Just get it right. There's so much money at stake here. Don't yes. don't try to do it on the cheap. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, as we looked at the building companies come through, you know, maybe, maybe a Jelcon or a GJ Gardener or whatever. I think they lifted the standard of what you expected when, yeah. when you walked into a house. You walked into those show homes. No one lives there, so they're absolutely spotless. So I see that as one example. The other example is if we go to a hotel, the standard of the bathroom is it must be perfect. Absolutely. Like, absolutely perfect. And I think somebody walking into a house you're trying to sell should be the same. Well, the, the, the golden rule as far as I'm concerned when selling something, the kitchen and the bathrooms have got to be immaculate. Yeah, They've yeah. got to be perfect or because the women look at first of the kitchen and they look at the bathroom. The men, they look at the, where's the beer fridge going to go? <laughs> where's the car going to go? I know, I know. <laughs> That's a joke, folks. And, um, and if the bathroom is yucky and the yeah. kitchen is yucky, yeah. you know, you, you put yourself right behind. It's got a bad feel, hasn't it? It's a bad feel. I saw, I saw something years ago and I thought, oh, that was very, very smart. A property... And outside, you, you talk about the gardens, it was just fantastic. It had a great feel about it. And sort of second glance, I, I realised everything's in pots. It's all pot plants. And very clear on the contract, all pot plants excluded. <laughs> and on settlement, it was like, oh, it looks quite different. But, yeah, yeah that, that was a good way to yeah. move them to the next property and do the same. That's right. And very, very legal and very right. clear you about bring, it. You bring the garden to the house, you sell the property, and then you take the garden away. <laughs> That's very, why not? I'll tell you what stays, obviously, is, is the title, um, freehold versus cross lease. Yeah. The old-fashioned way of dividing up a section into smaller bits was devised sometime in the 1940s or 50s, I think, where you leased pieces of the land off and everybody got a piece of the, the lease. Mm -hmm. uh, it worked. It worked. There's still a lot of it around. The problem is that you know, the people, the, the buildings on this piece of leasehold land, they all have to, they all share the same land. Mm -hmm. uh, specific areas carved off for your particular property. So. But if you want to do some alterations to your property, 
change the footprint of the property, you have to get permission of all the rest, mm. which can be sometimes a bother. You know? Not everybody's nice about things. And now, of course, you can't do cross-lease. Everything has to be done. New titles have to be issued and proper separate ownership papers, if you like, have to be issued. And before cross-lease, way back then, another attempt was done by issuing company titles. The, the section was divided up into shares. Yep. And you bought so many shares and those shares allowed you so much land on the property. And you still have a few flying around, lying mm-hmm. around, which are still on company titles. Very rare, but quite common overseas though. And uh, these are difficult to mortgage. Now, if you've got a company title on a, then you probably never get a mortgage. If you've got a cross-lease title, the bank will look sideways at the whole thing and maybe only give you 60% instead of 70%. Mm-hmm. If you've got an ordinary unit title or something like that, then you'll probably get the, the maximum they can get. Company shares about 500 metres up the road here. There's one on company shares. And, that, right. and, that, and that, that becomes, the first time somebody sees it, it becomes uh, a bit of a difficulty getting the head around it, I think. Yeah. If you own a company, you know what shares are. You, mm. you know how it works. Mm. But it's uh, not everybody's used to it. Did, did you, have you, over time, have you uh, purchased freehold, you know, large, large sums? Have you cross-leased or uh, no. cut any up? Have you no. reversed any and no, taken them from no, cross-leased back to freehold? No, I was not a developer. That's a developer's yep. job. I didn't do that. It's too hard and too expensive. Uh, I'm far too lazy to do that. <laughs> I like to buy them ready to go and clean up. Uh, I didn't do that. I may have done it. I can't remember. Uh, but I avoided being a developer. Yep. It's a different subject altogether. Being a developer, taking bare land and putting something on it and chopping land up, there's a nightmare to, to nowhere. I wouldn't do it. Um, basically, I'm a bit lazy. I just want to get over the jo- over the job and get it done. Yep. And going into any sort of developing where you've got to spend time with the council and, and plans and architects and, and surveys and so on, I just I just start to sort of lose the will to live. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so keep, keep it easy. I, yeah, I mean, why make it harder? This, I, this is why you've been able to do it since 1960. I know. Developers, they, they burn out. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah, God bless developers. I love them, but not for me, <laughs> not for everybody. Normal developer, fantastic. Yeah. Do really well until the last one. Yeah. Oh, yes, the profits in the last year. Yeah. 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 And then the last one falls over. Then the last one sinks them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pretty rough game. Yeah. Okay, so on your ones that you've done, um, renovation, so time to sell or if you're, yeah, have you picked them up and uh, literally flipped them or moved them on? So renovation's adding value? Well, I can only say what I did. I used to find houses which were tired. Okay. And tired houses were meat and potatoes to me and I loved them. Uh, But not tired so that you have to spend a couple of years on it. Tired, uh, need new bathrooms, new kitchens, carpet, wallpaper, paint. You learn tricks, you know. If you had to paint the house, you paint the front, not the rest. People see it from the front. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. it? So I mean, I'm, jag- I'm joking. You know, it's a joke. Don't take any of Um But you learn how to do up places and do them properly. You put a yeah. nice kitchen, yep. which we mentioned before, a nice bathroom, nice carpet, polish the floors, put a nice garden, a real garden in, yep. uh, put up a carport, something like that yep. if necessary, clean up the neighbours sometimes. The neighbours. Yes, put yeah, gotcha. uh, That should take... Something like two or three months. So in and out in three months. Yep. Otherwise you start losing money. Yep. That's developing, that's renovating and, and doing up. And, and But buying a place and flipping it, uh, well, that's a proper speculation. Yeah. And, and uh, would you do one at a time? And, and 
sort of in, in the past or did you have a couple on the go? Did you have a strategy or was it just the, the strategy? Was was, the strategy was, was de, uh, devised or you like was done by how many properties were available at any one time and how gotcha. much money I had available at any one time and how much, how much time you had to spread between all the deals. I didn't do more than two or three at one time. Yep. Uh, stretched the money, stretched my resource. I worked on the sites. I was there with my boots and apron and wallpapering and helping the plumber and everything else. So, yeah, I didn't take it easy sitting in an office. So two or three at a time, but it worked out about, in the end, about six a year. Okay. Six a year because yep. sometimes they came in a bunch and sometimes there was nothing. Yep. And there were competitors. There were competitors out there who took the stock from India. And I thought I was doing God's work, doing up houses and, and selling them again. But, you know, some people thought it was probably speculation, but it's not. It's bloody hard work. And, and somebody gets to buy something that they couldn't do themselves well, yeah. and it's finished and it's nice yeah. Uh, yeah. and they move in and they enjoy your hard work. And if you also, you can help with the finance in many cases yep. because you know how much money you've put into it. You know if you've got any spare equity left in the place, you can leave some money in behind. Necessarily. And so help, um, help many people into houses that couldn't afford to buy them. And wow. even only, only a couple of months ago, I walked into a shop and the guy behind the counter jumped over the counter, literally, and shook my hand and thanked me very much for selling a house to his parents in Grey Lynn 40 years ago. Wow. Because it's the only way they ever got a house and he still got it. It's worth millions now, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> not, not when I had it. And so it's, it's people still remember. Yeah, I did quite a few. But later, of course, the commercial property took over. So that, that was at that stage when it was uh, residential, that was Grayland, that example. Mm. Did you move with the market? Were you pretty free to move any part of Auckland? Well, this will make you laugh. The first houses I was buying in the 1960s, early 60s, the average price for a nice house, Mount Eden, Mount Albert, Mount Roskill, uh, Avondale, New Lynn, Henderson, was about £3,000. Oh it's $6,000 for a whole house. Locks, I remember buying number nine Mars and Avenue Mount Eden for £3,250 and choking over the price. That's uh, $6,500. And uh, this is what, but remember, the wages in those days were, you're lucky if you got $30 a week, total wages. Wow. Yeah. So you've got to keep things in context. So it was all on scale? It's on, everything yeah. on scale. Later prices started to rush up in the 1970s, a huge boom, and prices got to $20,000 a house. I remember saying to my lawyer, $20,000 a house? Nobody can afford that. It's ridiculous mm. money. I'm out of business. I can't mm. afford that. Well, I should have kept them all. Um, and that roared through 1970s and then the oil shocks of the yeah. mid-70s yeah. put the ca a cap on that and it went quiet. And, of course, the government at the time, the Labor government at the time, brought in a property speculation tax that took 90% of any profit away from a property if you sold it and you weren't the owner. So that drove property, property prices up even higher. Sound familiar? Yep. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, that was taken away by Muldoon in the late 1970s. I know this is going down memory lane, but I was there. This is very good. Yeah, yeah. I was there. I dealt with Muldoon, I saw him many times. And uh, he took that city speculation tax away later. That's a whole story. Could go all day. And then property prices were flat until the early 80s and there was a share market boom and a property price boom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they roared up again. And that bust when the 87 crash came along. They went flat again into the 2000s. And then we had Asian crisis. Mm -hmm. People forgot about that. I did very well. I bought several houses and blocks of shops in that time from Asian people who were terrified. And by the way, the earliest Asian buyers in New Zealand were not Chinese, you may imagine. They were Japanese. The Japanese came to New Zealand in the 1970s, busloads of them. There was a huge boom in Japan, 
huge boom. And they were coming here in busloads and buying houses from the bus, not getting out of the bus. Ah. This house was out, buy it. This house was out, buy it. Then it all popped in about 1991. The whole Japanese economy went into freefall. Uh, you have to live through these times. Well, was it the post-war? Because we know we know China opened up in the 80s, America poured the money in, the yeah. factories changed and it produced for the world and that economy changed. I'm guessing uh, Japan was post-war. Again, yeah, you've yeah, got the course, yeah. American influence. Yeah. And when I was a kid, everything was everything that was pretty cool was Japanese, yeah. whether it was a yeah. car or a transistor radio. Yeah, well, the, that's, we, we're going to go through that again, I'm sure. I don't, know, I don't know which country is going to be the dominant one. Take your pick. Uh, but it was interesting times. With with the uh, governments, I wondered about that with Muldoon. Um, do, do you see – we might get in trouble for this, Ollie. Do you see a clear pattern, uh, a difference between, you know, sort of the, when we've got Labour in or when we've got National in? I appreciate oh, yeah, now yeah. those coalitions. Yeah, yeah. The general, I find this – I don't want to be too political about these things. <laughs> wink, wink. Not, not. Um, but – the Labour parties, this was the same in the 1970s and the 1980s, Labour parties seemed to be keen on creating and looking and anticipating things and bringing in legislation mm-hmm. in anticipation of something. Well, the National Party, the Conservative lot, are more reactive. They, they wait till something happens before they actually do anything. That's a general generalisation. And uh, I've worked under both. I knew David Longy quite well. Oh, he's wow. a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a nice guy. He was in the wrong party, I think, but he was a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, I think so too. And and I also knew um, uh, Norm Kirk. Wow. Briefly, yeah, not too much. Big Norm. Big Norm, yeah. And his, his the guy that came after him was Bill Rowling, who was he's dead now, so I can say he was dumb. <laughs> but there we are. Um, uh, but yeah, the, it's very interesting that meeting these politicians because they're driven driven by ideology. Yes, you yeah. just can't get yep. through that sometimes. Very much the same today, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and the current lot. I've the one side of the house. Yeah, and it's interesting, but you know, we've only got too far to this. In the trip, there's a real estate show, not a, not a political show. <laughs> yeah, well, next time we record, there'll be protests out the front or something. Uh, you know, been, as, as we I've go through, that. I've been through that. Yeah. I, I think we can live with that. Why don't we do a wrap? We'll do a wrap with uh, a, a really interesting question because I'm, I'm the auctioneer sitting here, so I might have to block my ears. Um, right. Method of sale from from your side, your observation over uh, over those years, auction, not auction, method of sale. What what do you think? Well, auction is a great way of selling something when times are good because it focuses a property in the market and everybody crowds in and tries to have a go. It's very good. When times are flat, I don't think auction is quite so good. Failing at auction is usually a bad sign. Um, so it's still working, but I would think at times now when at times are flat, I think by negotiation may be better, just a matter of opinion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes putting a price guide. I think I really think that most probably should have a price guide, whether they're auctioned or not. So give people to many people are wandering around have no idea what a property is worth and are wasting their time and the agent's time by looking at properties which are far too dear for them. So if you put a price guide in, you know, offers around 1.4. We're using the CV at the moment, the council valuation, mm-hmm. as a sort of benchmark, usually selling under that. But it'd be a good idea if it was some sort of price guide. But I think auctions are good in hot times, not so good in flat times by negotiation or prices in the, in the region of or even a price or by negotiation, anything. Uh, because if it fails at auction, it gets around the property failed at auction. That's a bit of a, a stigma. Mm. Mm. I, I like watching Australia. The different states have different rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you'll have a state where the rule is you must give a price guide. 
you'll have another state where you cannot give any price guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they, they sort of run both sides of the fence on that. Um, obviously, I've got my thoughts on auction, but I think the auction needs to be very sophisticated. And I think it's actually quite a blunt tool. Uh, and you can do far better with auction if, if you run it in a, a sophisticated manner. But no, those, those are great, uh, great um, stories and great comments. And Big Norm, Muldoon, Longy, yeah. Man, we forget about some of these guys, don't we? We're sort of polarised by the current uh, not, crew. No, not if you dealt with them, you never forget. Wow. Not if you got letters from them. Wow. <laughs> Emails. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we might pick it up on that. So, Ollie, thank you very much. Pleasure. Pleasure being with you again. So, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, folks.